0: Well, with fear and trembling, we approach a section of scripture, there's a lot to swallow. And we'll be in Exodus 32. Exodus 32 is about two chapters in my book, and Exodus 33 is a third. And so there's a lot of ground, and I'm going to cover Exodus 32 since you all are such good listeners and can digest so much. But there are notes, and I put more in the notes than I normally do. Um, And with fear and trembling, I will attempt to preach this. Let's pray for a moment. Father, may we honor you, and in the reading of your word, may your spirit speak to us. May we ask your spirit to examine our own hearts and a lot of the things that transpire in this section of scripture. May we realize as we look at Moses' prayer how deep his prayer was for your reputation and your people. I'll pray we'll come away from this with a likewise zeal. In our Savior's name, amen. So we're going to read all of Exodus 32, and I hate to read this much, but I don't have much choice, and so bear with me as we go through. Exodus 32, starting verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people ascended about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off their gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned with it a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to pray. pray, play, not pray. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made from themselves a molten calf and worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it and have said it, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And, Mo- and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I'll make of you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why doth thy anger burn against thy people? whom thou hast brought up from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying with evil intent he brought out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy burning anger and change thy mind about doing harm to them, to thy people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, by whom thou dost swear by thyself, and just say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all the land which I have spoken I will give to you, your descendants, and they, will, they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with two tablets of testimony in his hand. Tablets were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. And the tablets were God's work. And the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. But when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they, sh- as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of the, cr- of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Take a breath. Most of the time, that's where people sort of stop we're going to go further, and we have more to go. And it came about, as soon as Moses came near the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire, and ground it into powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Do not the, let the anger of my Lord burn, you, for you know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Good cartoon, right? Now, when Moses saw the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him, and he said to them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother, every man his friend, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourself to the Lord, for every man has been against his son, against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon him today. And it came about on the next day that Moses said to the people, You yourself have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold from themselves. But now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you, before Behold, my angel shall go before you, nevertheless in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. This is the fifth test. You remember how we talked about our numbers 14. The scriptures talk about ten tests, and we've already talked about four of them. So think of it. The first one was at the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea. The second one was at Mary where the water was bitter. and They threw a tree in it, and it became sweet. And the third one was in the wilderness of sin where they needed manna, and God provided the manna. And the fourth one, when they had the need of water, God provided water. Moses was instructed to strike the rock, and water came out and the water was abundant. The scripture said in Psalms, it's, it's almost like ocean flowing out. All four of those tasks, God never disciplined his people. But discipline comes on the fifth one, the sixth one, the seventh one, the eighth one, the ninth one, and the tenth one, the ultimate. God is very gracious, very patient. His loving kindness is new every day. But he comes to a limit. And the part of the thing man does not realize there is a limit with God. And so, this particular event that happened in Exodus 32 at the Mount Sinai. Moses was up on the mountain 40 days. You need to understand, it's only been four months since they left Egypt. Four months. They saw four sets of miracles, they saw another 10 in Egypt. Fourteen miracles. How many people do you know have seen 14 miracles in a short period of time? They did. They did. So Moses goes up to the mountain. And he's up there 40 days. 40 days. And so the people are beginning to think, what's the delay of Moses? He should have been down a lot sooner. You know how our expectations get us in trouble every time? We expect it should have been yesterday, and it didn't come to years later. So Moses was delayed. But delays are never an excuse for sin. Never. Never. All delays in your life in a church are purposeful. There is a reason for them. As a college professor, all college professors like to be tenured. They have a job that's safe and so forth. My second job as a professor, they let me go because of my stand for Christ. Could have taken them to court if I'd wanted to. But God had other things in mind. He wanted me to plant a church and preach. That's what I did. Then I went to another university, Virginia Tech, it was. And God had me involved in ministry all over the place. DC, churches, students, military. And then God sent me here. I didn't get tenure at Virginia Tech. My department proved me. I had more publications than most people in the department did. But the dean didn't. Playing politics. And so I came here and they promised me I would be considered for a tenure position, but they went back on their word. Politics. But I began to realize as I prepared this sermon, God didn't want me to have tenure because I had the freedom to go to different universities, different churches and establish and work, different people to share, the Christ, to share Christ with. I had more opportunity than anybody in a tenure that gets so locked in they can see nothing. It was purposeful. And what fellowship has been through in the last couple of years is purposeful. The delays are of God. You cannot fight them. If you fight them, you're fighting God. And this idol worship of the golden calf and all the crazy things, and you all know all the story. I'm not going to go through all the details, but this probably happened in the last five days of the forty. Think about it. We wait. We, we start to have a feeling. We'll, I'll wait just a so Oh, I can't wait anymore. Like a kid, mom tells the kid, oh, you can have a cookie after you've done that work. And then what's he do? He comes around and gets it another way. Didn't want to wait. That's what happened when you walk by sight. You can't wait. And that's one of the things my wife and I have learned in all our life in ministry, is you need to be able to wait. It takes faith to wait. Then we see the defects in Aaron. He sought to please man, not God. That's a dangerous thing to do. He violated the first three commandments of the ten no other gods before me, not make for yourself an idol, not worship or serve them. Didn't take him long. And he made three excuses. Oh, aren't his excuses laughable? He says the people are prone to sin. But we're all prone to sin. That is just human nature. Two year olds and my three year old, three and a half year old grandson, he's prone to sin. We've all come through that. That's what we were made. So we would have to trust God. To be able to win the battle against sin, and he says the people said to me, "Make an idol." So when do the people dictate what we do for the Father? That violated the scriptures. And he says, "Whoever has to go, give it to me, and I'll throw it into the fire." And out came this calf. All oh, that's a total lie. And I see that all the time. Total lie. Moses rightly pegged it correctly when he stated that Aaron had let things get out of control. And notice what the scripture says. He let them get out of control. See if I can find it real quickly. Oops, looking in the wrong place. No wonder I couldn't find it. Verse twenty five. For Aaron let them get out of control to become a to be a derision among our enemies. See, when we profane the name of God, but what we say or what we do, we impact we embolden our enemies. And then the third thing we see in this idolatry was the disobedience of people. They made an altar, but it wasn't made God's way. If you go to the scriptures, God talks about a certain way the altar's made. Nothing said about how this one was made. There were supposed to always be stones uncut. Some of them were plastered with white. Nothing said. There were offerings given, but not God's way. They ate, drank, and be married. And Aaron says, let's have a feast to our God. Well, this wasn't one of the name feast, Everything is violated. Acts 7.41 says this on a shortcut comment on this. They made a calf and brought sacrifices to their idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. What a condemned condemnation of the way we live. We worship the work of our hands, the technology that we can make with our hands or our minds. Oh. Well then we get into the intercession of Moses. But first off, I want to look at the report. The Lord's report, start in verse. Um, Verse 7, look at the words our Lord uses of the report. Verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, your people, Moses, your people, Moses, they're yours. Which you brought up from the land of Egypt. Notice, God is putting the onus on Moses deliberately, deliberately. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I command them. They've made themselves, for themselves a molten calf and worshipped it and, and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And then he says, verse 9, I have seen this people, and behold, they are obstinate. And then he asks, them, let, notice what he says, let's read it again, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. This is Moses' moment. He wasn't looking, as we're going to find, he wasn't looking for fame. He didn't want it at all. He had understood his original calling from God to lead these people out. And the response of Moses is phenomenal. Look at his response to Moses, Moses' response to God. Verse 11, Then Moses entreats the Lord as God. Why does thy anger burn against thy people? They're not mine. They're thy people. Important word. Whom thou has brought out. Notice what he's saying. God, you're the one who directed me. You're the one who's brought them there. I've just been the vessel you've been using. And that's what any pastor, any man or woman of God needs to realize. We are just God's vessel doing what God has called us to do no more. And notice what he also says. Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak with evil intent that you brought them out to the mountains and to destroy them? See, he's even concerned about Israel's enemies. Their testimony. See, a lot of believers don't think about their testimony to their enemies. I push them under the dirt. Turn my back on them. You can't do that. The reputation of God, his name, his glory, all is damaged. And Moses realized that. He stood in the gap. I don't know if I could have done that. But then he does one other thing. Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou didst swear by thyself, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the star of the heaven, and all this land which I have spoken, I will give you to your descendants, and so forth. He comes back to the promises of God that he had made to the forefathers. And the scripture says, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm and he, which he said he would do. This. He didn't change his mind. He was testing Moses. Would Moses intercede for the people? We know the scriptures, God doesn't change his mind. All that Moses did came back with the arguments that he could have given your glory, your reputation. The people, our forefathers, you promised, our enemies. Wow. Well, what's the immediate action of Moses? Well, the tablets are shattered at the foot of the mountain. He picks up Joshua. and What starts strange is Joshua is just a little ways up the mountain. So he picks up Joshua, and Joshua comes along. Now, I think it's important, as somebody who disciples, it was very important that he had Joshua there to see how important it was to deal with sin quickly. Because you can go to the book of Joshua. Joshua has an opportunity at I to deal with sin. So Joshua was being trained. And it tells us we have in the scriptures, the golden calf was burnt with fire, ground to powder. Now, don't forget that word, ground to powder. I'm going to bring that back around in a minute. Scattered over the water. There was a water. There was a brook. If you go to Deuteronomy, it talks about a brook coming down the mountain. This powder was thrown in that water. Holy water and the powdered. And turn with me now to Deuteronomy 9. I'm sorry about all the turning. You know, it's Old Testament is not like the New. It's never in one place. You got to search all the places. Turn to with me to Deuteronomy. There's something else Moses prayed. Deuteronomy 9:20. 9:20. And the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. So I also prayed for Aaron at the same time. He should have been destroyed. Moses rightly recognized it. He should have been destroyed. But I still prayed for him. Do you pay, pray for people that are going to be destroyed? We need to get in habit. It's difficult. It's turning the other cheek. It's a difficult step in prayer. Moses was not afraid. He prayed for him. Well, going back to Exodus 32, I love the comment that Moses makes, verse 25. And he saw the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control. Aaron had let them get out of control. That's what happens when you're yes, you say yes to man all the time. You can't stand the tide. And so notice what he calls for help for. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Only the tribe of Levi came with their sword, and they slayed brother, neighbor, friend. Three thousand slain. I I expect they were three thousand leaders that are in the playing at the idol. But there's something else. Go to verse 35, and we'll come back to more on the prayer, deep prayer of Moses. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf. After Moses' prayer, after all this has happened, the Lord smotes the people. Now, we don't have time to turn there, but when you have time, go and read Numbers 5. Numbers 5. And Numbers 5 delineates, talks about if a woman is unfaithful in a marriage. There was a test to see whether she was faithful. It's called the test of jealousy. And so what she was to do, she was to go to the tabernacle. They would use holy water that was in the tabernacle. The priest would reach down into the dirt and bring the dirt from the tabernacle and sprinkle it in the water. And then he would write the curses down on the scroll, and he'd wash the curses off into the water and dirt. And the woman was to drink it. If she had not defiled the marriage, she would be no problem. She would be fruitful and had kids and everything. But if she had been unfaithful... Her thigh would waste away. She would blow it up and die. God was dealing with the unfaithfulness that they had exposed here in Mount Sinai. A beautiful picture. God smote them. That's what God does. He hates sin. And some commentators, I I spent a lot of time looking at all my sources, some commentators say, well, this is just something that happened later. Now you think about it. If a woman is caught in adultery, are you going to wait a a year or two later before you smite her? No. That sin will continue. God doesn't like that to continue. It was done that day or a a few days later. And this was not just men and women, whoever was involved. Lastly, let's look at the deep prayer of Moses. And this is the last few verses of 32. Moses recognized the great sin of the people. That's what we need to see. I don't think we'll ever understand the deep sin of people until we really understand the deep, our own deep sin. And we've got to really wrestle with it. It is difficult. And he sought to make atonement. And he spoke to God the same way. If not forgiven, block me out of the book of life. Now, that's mean not block him from heaven, but block me out of life. I'll go down with my people right now. But God says, no, the ones who sin will suffer their consequences. In the same way, he was willing. And if you go and look at Paul's letters in the epistle, he makes that comment. I'm willing to, to to give myself up for their salvation. Moses had that same heart. He had a shepherd's heart. What a picture. A lot going on in that chapter. All these chapters in, in Exodus are that way. Well, let's look at some of the reflections and our applications. As I repeat, delays are a favorite tool of God to test our heart and faith. Some delays are short, some are long, but they're always purposeful. Always purposeful. As Psalm 25.3 says, one of my favorite verses, none of those who wait on the Lord will be ashamed. Andrew Murray has a neat little book. I read it years ago, and every now and then I pull it down. He's talking about waiting on God. It's a whole book pulling verses throughout all of Scripture that deal with waiting on God and the aspects of waiting. It's a struggle. We live in a society that doesn't want to wait. We want it now. We want it our way. Delays are never an excuse for sin, and responses to delay reveals weaknesses in character or strong faith. Delays are hard. What's interesting in this section of Scripture in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there are lots of delays. There are lots of detours. And so forth. And let me remind you: if you study the miracles of Christ, there are delays recorded in those miracles. Most people never pick them up. But think about the one with Lazarus. It was reported that uh, his uh, Lazarus was sick, about to die, and Jesus said, oh, "Let's wait a while," and he waited four days. He'd already been in the grave four days. But he did it so that the disciples might believe that I am the resurrection. His delay was purposeful for the disciples and for the people that were around Lazarus when he died. God never wastes time or experience. There's always a reason for it. Sometimes it may take years to realize Number two, dealing with sin quickly is critical. It's critical, especially idolatry. Otherwise, it spreads and damages and corrupts more lives in the body of Christ. Moses did act. He got help from the tribe of Levi, and he got help from God himself. Several years ago, I was involved in small groups at a particular place. And we had a a fairly good small group, people of similar age, similar backgrounds. We had a lot in common. And there was one couple we really particularly liked, we'll call them Kim and Kay. And all of a sudden, uh, after about a year or two, and I had spent a lot of time with uh, uh, Kim, spent a lot of time with him, he got notified by his wife she was going to divorce him. And I said something to the elders, she's going to go to another church, and she'd already been divorced once. And I found out a year later she'd married again, she divorced again. I tried to tell Ellis, let's take church discipline on her. Let's take that news to other churches and deal with it. They wouldn't budge an inch. So the woman destroyed herself. She destroyed her older daughter who was watching all this. She destroyed the man that she was married to, and he came from Texas, and I visit him every now and then when I go down there. And she affected almost everybody in that small group. You can't let sin go like that, it destroys, it's just ugly. Number three Moses' intercession contains tender concern for the nation he led, he loved them. He had a passionate jealousy for the reputation of God. That's what we need to have, a passionate jealousy for the name of God. And all that's about him, if we had that, it will pour over. We will affect people we run into. I have a neighbor. I have stories I could tell all day. I'm sorry. I have a neighbor who's rescuing Beagles. And if you've ever been around beagles, ugh, got one of the worst barks. And she's got four of them, and she added another one this past December. Well, they come outside my wife's bedroom and bark, and bark, and bark, and bark. I got ultrasonic things all around, I'm going to buy another one, And and three of the beagles I can sit and talk with while I'm feeding my birds and taking care of things. and do fine, but we got rabbits, we got possums, we got groundhogs, I got turtles. I got everything in my yard, and they bark. And my wife has been the one texting back and forth. I don't like texting late at night. She has nothing else to do, she, so she texts back and forth at night, and she texts her. We can't live with this. We can't even come out the door. I turn the light off when I go feed the foxes and the cats and I, so the dogs won't see me. I tried to tiptoe. They still hear me. And so my wife had sent her uh, another email or another text message, and we've come to find out she's had COVID the last four weeks, five weeks. Tell her, We'll pray for her. So, my wife sent her that message, and they haven't stopped coming. This lady is lonely. She's without Christ. How many others are out there separated? Beagles are going to draw all people to Christ. We have opportunities. They're there, but we've got to make time for them. And what's neat about Moses, he had deep love for one individual, and that was Aaron. He loved an individual. In the midst of all the chaos, he still loved an individual, his brother. And he remembered the promises of his forefathers. We can never understand the urgency of intercession until we can see sin from God's perspective. Moses was willing to stand or fall with his people without any gain for self. That's what it's got to be. That's why I have filled in here. I see I'm looking for no gain for myself. I, I want to see God exalted, God's word preached. I want nothing else. I want you to see you all continue pressed in that direction. Number four Well let's, number four Idols are substitute gods that create bondage, that consume resources, they inevitably involve self centeredness, self inflation, self deception. They're destructive. And Jeremiah eleven thirteen says For your gods are as many as your cities. Think about it. Think about it. Here are some models that are real strange, but they're horrible. We can worship bitterness and try to control people with bitterness. Some idols are in the very congregations. The Pharisees had an idol. The idol was keeping all the rules so they could control. And remember what Jesus said? Oh, and they kept adding a little more. They were in control. And that's why they were threatened so much by Jesus because Jesus had a free freedom they didn't have. Lastly, I've gone too long. I apologize. The Levites who responded to Moses' challenge of dealing with the sin quickly were only 1.4% of the nation. Boy, wouldn't that be nice to see 1.4% of our nation be as zealous as those Levites? That? Now, they don't need to shed blood that way. But we've got to have a zeal for what's right before the Lord. it got to be. If I had time, I had more years to go, I would start the 1.4%ers <laughs> so we could be about reviving God's church, reclaiming the land, that's been taken Father we thank you for the richness of your word it communicates, it speaks may we read it again and again and again help us supply the truth we've learned in his name Amen